we are launching into our new series. Kevin opened us up last week on trying to sort of uh, set the framework for story and how we live in story and how it forms our identity, our mm-hmm. understanding of who we are and who we are called to be. And as we then move forward, we're trying to grab some sort of anchors or cornerstones of our story going through. And for me, one of the frameworks for that has been, uh, what do I want to make sure that a friend of mine, a, a congregant here at Spark, or even one of my daughters knows in their knower? Like if I, if I had to write a letter of the things that I would really deeply want anyone who is interested in following Jesus to know, um, even my own daughters, what do I really need for them to know? And so as we've been going through this, um, that's kind of one of my frameworks for how we are sort of thinking about this series. And today I'm deeply excited to start in the beginning. And part of what we mentioned last week is what do you know? And people of faith, of any spiritual denomination, um, any religious belief, usually begins with this phrase, well, I believe such and such. And we were very careful, at least I attempted to be very careful, not to disdain that, not to demean that, not to say that those statements of faith are unimportant, but to simply say that we have forgotten the other way in which you could answer the question, what do you believe or, or what do you really know about your faith? And the other way to do that is, well, once upon a time. And that's what this phrase is, in the beginning. And let me tell you a story about this God and us in that framework, and let that be the foundation for how we understand who we are and what we know. And I would just note that everything that we hold um, deep and true in our Jesus narrative is something that has historically happened, where we can go to a place and a space and say, and, and even maybe hopefully point to a time and say, this thing happened and that informs what it is I believe. So the resurrection itself is something that happened in a particular space and time. And some of you have been to the place where we can even say this is likely the place where it happened. And in all of that, um, those things come as in the context of story. So when we talk about the distinction between only simply stating a belief, I believe in the resurrection. That's a wonderful thing to say. Nobody should disdain saying that. But we just want to grab that statement and set it back into the context that it was also initially um, given in because putting it in its setting helps us to see all of the beauty and facets of that statement that we believe. But everything that we believe came first in the context of events of human history. And, And this too starts that way. So in the beginning, it starts, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in the middle of that, and I'll just open up Genesis 1 and read it with you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over those waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. So one of the first things I would want everybody here in this room to know is that when we say we follow this God, this God of Israel, um, we are following a God who out of darkness and out of chaos calls forth light and calls forth order. That when we are in different places and spaces in our world, this is what I'd want to tell my little one, sometimes the world is dark. Sometimes the news is tough. 
Sometimes everything just seems chaotic. And that can be not just in our world, but in our very souls. There are times where we go through life where it's just chaotic and dark, and we don't know which way is up. And the thing that I would want every person in this room to know is that God hovers over that kind of situation. God is not absent from places that are dark. God is not absent from places that are chaotic. God is there. And in that, God speaks. And out of that, God calls light and order. I don't know if you noticed the turn of this narrative. Um, For those of you who've grown up in evangelical or Christian circles or biblical circles who believe the Bible uh, uh, is the very word of God and, and all those different types of things, Uh, It is often taught that, see, Genesis speaks very, very clearly that God creates something out of nothing. And all this entire universe exists because God spoke it into being. And that is true. But the narrative of the story is actually a little bit different. Because the thrust of this story is not that God created something out of nothing and the reason why everything is is because God said it. No, the actual thrust of the story is that there was actually something there. And that something there was chaotic. In other words, the main drive of the story is not that God created something out of nothing, but that creation actually means taking something that is chaotic, disordered, and creating something beautiful and ordered and purposeful. And both of those things could probably live together. But in many of our circles, we often lose that piece of the story because we're trying so hard to argue that it was God that did it. And then, of course, that rolls into the whole science and faith debate. But if we understand this through Genesis is actually telling us that the earth in the very beginning was formless and empty. That's the point of the story from chaos to order. From darkness to light. And, and for me, this is such good news. Because so much of my life, um, I've spent trying to find the place where God is. And you, and you end up searching, right? Like, is, is God here? And, and I think I picked up all that language of, uh, well, I sense the presence of God more in this space than this space. And, and yet, I'd like to argue that God is present, too, in the darkness, in the chaos. And, and it's in those places that God brings light and hope and order. And that is such good news to me because as a follower of Jesus, for like pretty much my whole life, there have been plenty of seasons where it has felt disordered and chaotic and, and not full of light. And to know that God is with me in that and God has power to call out of that, that sense of sometimes we can just even feel hopeless. I don't know where is up. I don't know where the light can be found. I don't know what's going to be happening and all this. And God speaks into that. Uh, A few years ago, we went to Jerusalem and we were with a group of people, wonderful folks. And uh, we got dropped off at the wrong gate to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is the, the place of the death, burial, and resurrection. And as we were walking through the wrong direction, it was Friday morning, Friday morning prayers during Ramadan. So what that means is that the gate that we got dropped off at was at the Muslim quarter of the city, not the Christian quarter of the city. And we kind of had to swim upstream for a few blocks to get to where we wanted to go because they're just we got dropped off at the wrong gate. And so all of the, you know, the entire mass of humanity is going this way at us. And we're like a tiny little line. And, you know, 
You're already nervous when you're in a foreign country, right? But then when uh, the people that your media have presented to you as dangerous are coming at you in a mass of humanity, um, some fully veiled, um, you know, all of that, then I could sense I'm, I'm comfortable there because I've lived there. And, and I know a lot of these people. But, but I could sense behind me the American Christians getting real nervous. And, and there were some conflicts along the way. Some things were being said. Um, there were some tough looks back and forth. And as we started to go down, I'm in charge, so I'm leading, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be awkward, <laughs> and then this is going to be difficult. And I, oh, people are going to start freaking out. And so I'm thinking all of this in my head, but I'm determined to smile. So I'm, like, smiling, and I, like, eye contact with every person. I see, like, hey, hey, hey. But that's not lasting all the way back, right? So by the time we got to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, people are freaked out, completely unhinged, not everybody, but some. And one person said to me, oh, that was just so dark. It was just so chaotic. I just couldn't feel God anywhere there, right? And, and it was such a wonderful moment to say, oh, no, 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 God's in all of that. Even if you're feeling that in that moment, whether that's the right feeling or wrong feeling, whatever, that's how this person was feeling. And I wanted to at least point out that God is not absent from that moment. And I saw in all of it, all, like all this good stuff of Jesus the whole way. I was like, oh, did you notice how the soldiers were there? And can't you imagine being then a, a Jewish follower of Jesus coming to worship at the temple and seeing Roman soldiers and how would that have felt and, and, and guarding your place to go to worship and do you hear all the tension? So it ended up being wonderful and, we, and then we talked about the resurrection and new life out of that chaos. But if you only see God in the mountaintop experience and you don't see God in all of the daily disordered difficult, sometimes dark chaos, then you miss God at work. And what I would want to tell my daughter today, is when you find yourself tumbling in those waves and you don't know which way is up, when those waters of disorder are there, when there's chaos, when it feels dark and scary, just hold tight. God's going to speak and there will be light and there will be order and there's hope in that moment too. God's there hovering over that. So, in accordance with that, Genesis doesn't end with all of a sudden the chaos is gone and done. There's actually a narrative. There's an unfolding of how God reaches in, speaks in. And people often miss this beautiful structure in Genesis. We often think of, well, first God did this, second God did this. We think very linearly. But the ancients thought much more parallel. If you notice carefully, day one, he creates light. Day two, he creates an expanse. Day three, he creates gathered waters and dry ground. But if you notice, day four actually goes with day one. There's a matching and a pairing there. In other words, the structure, the very literary structure of Genesis is matching the very concept of the narrative that what God does is he takes something which is formless and empty and he forms it. He fills it. And then he yeah. fills it. Yeah. And so if you read Genesis 1 by simply deducing that it's some sort of scientific description of step one, step two, step three, we miss this beautiful picture and image and the character of this God over the chaos, out of the darkness, forming and then filling. And this is the response to all of that chaos. And, and as God does that, each time God says it's good. So we have now images, we have some understanding of this creator God. What have we learned? We've learned that God is powerful enough to hover over darkness and chaos and call forth light and order. We 
worship that God. We have now learned that there is a God who, as God speaks, beautiful things come into being. That the power of God's very word brings forth life. Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that it was good. And then we start to learn that God makes good things. All of these things are deeply important to our understanding of our creator and ourselves. So then, God does this. Let us make humans in our image. Now, sometimes it says the word are. It's a plural there, like, collective. And and Christians can say, oh, I see a picture of maybe the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in that, and that's beautiful. And it's also kingly language, like, we shall rule, right? Like, that's kind of how that literary language works in that time. So as God says, let us make human beings in our image, God starts that process, and God forms in the image, in the tselem, but tselem, of God, God forms humanity. And as God forms humanity, then God fills humanity with God's breath. We are formed and filled. Not just created as empty shells to be walking about this earth without any purpose. We are formed, and if you have felt empty, if you have felt lost, if you have wondered what it is that you are here for, then I wanted to assure you that you are filled with the breath of God. That the moment you took your first breath, you started to breathe in God's self. That even in the ancients would talk about the holy name of God, yod Hey vav Hey, having a breathiness to it so that as every baby is born and they start to cry, they start to breathe in the name of God, yod Hey vav Hey, And you and I are filled with God's breath. Not just formed, but filled. You and I are God breathe. When God speaks these words into existence and when God forms humanity, God forms humanity with God's purpose and creative nature of all of that beauty and love with God's very breath, with a soul, with a mind, with a heart, with all of those things and in God's image. And so I want you to know that if you have been formed in the image of God, which you all have, all of humanity has been formed into God's image, that you have also been filled. Now, Many mystics and and ancients in our faith will say, then the next step is just to figure out how to attune ourselves to the fact that the divine, that God's self is with us. That indwelling with us is God's self. For Christians, we talk about this, the very dwelling place of God. I mean, Paul prays for this. I pray that Jesus will be more at home in your hearts and that you may know, as all God's people should, though we never can truly understand how wide, how long, how high his love for you really is, that God has formed us and filled us. And if I could say anything to my little one, I would want to say, God formed you. God called you good. God created you with purpose. God is with you in both the hard, chaotic times and the ordered times. And that God has breathed into you. And now, little one, you can ask the question, how do I hear? 
How do I listen? How do I now know in my knower that I've been created in the image of God with the very breath of God? How do I tune into that? How do I come to walk in the truth of this knowledge that that the very presence of God, the very presence of Jesus is with me as I go? So immediately after this, God tends to this thing called a garden. And for years and years and years, people have been trying to figure out where the heck was this garden? Can we locate it? Can we find its coordinates? And once again, there may be a place and a space and a time by which we can perhaps uh, locate that. And then if you do, put it on Google Maps for everybody to see and to share. But the garden in the biblical narrative is the ultimate picture of what life looks like when things have shifted from chaos to purpose and to order. And so God builds this garden, places us in this garden, tends the garden, and then, as Danielle was saying, creates every single one of us in that same image. In other words, just as God was responsible or took the prerogative himself to tend to this garden, so also we are there to do the very same thing. And, and God gives Adam, humanity, this job right away. God says, okay, so God has tended the garden in our narrative, and then God tells Adam to do the same. Take care of this garden because we are made in the image of God. And so as God's image bearers, as the image bearers of the creator itself, we are called to tend the garden, to tend and to care for creation, to call forth light as God does, to bring order out of chaos as God does, to breathe life, not death, into others as God has done. Now, we don't do this because we are God ourselves, but we are still made in God's image. And so we must wrestle with the fact that as God has made us God's image bearers, you notice that in the Ten Commandments, God says, thou shalt not have any graven image unto me. And the reason for that is because God has already put forth God's image in this world. Now, ultimately, we'll fully see that in the person of Jesus. But as God did that, as God created humanity and looked back and said, it is very good set back at God's creation and said, look, it is good. It is created with purpose. It's created in my image the way that I wanted. And it's called to purpose to do these things. I would want to tell my little one, I would want to tell each of you that as you've been created in the image of God, then you are God's image bearer in this world. And you too, me too, we are now called forth to also bring forth life and light and hope and to care for the creation, to care for one another, to try to bring as much as the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. So back to this question, what do you believe? What do you believe? Well, according to this narrative, according to the story, we believe this. Every single one of you, and no matter who we run into, uh, those people that are crowding the streets in a violent sort of way, the people that even do certain atrocities in this world, the people that irritate you, the people that cut you off on traffic, the people that send you spam email, the people, all of those people are created in God's image and his likeness. And as a result of that, we believe that they, in addition to all of us, have the potential and have the calling uh, and have the beautiful opportunity 
to reach into darkness, into chaos, and to turn it into order, and to turn it into creation, and to turn it into the garden. And this is so important for us because in our day and age, there are so many conversations that are have, being had right now about othering other people, people on other political sides of the spectrum, people on other gender sides of the spectrum, people on other national sides of the spectrum. Whatever it is, we have a tendency, and it's being exacerbated in our day and age, to say those people are, and then you fill in the blank, and the, that blank is usually not filled with the phrase human my made brother, my sister, <laughs> whatever, you know, made right. in the image of God. It's usually filled with some sort of derogatory term. But our narrative, our story, if we really dig into this, demands for us to reconsider our biases, our really negative opinions, and to see every single person. That person is created in the image and the likeness of God. That person has all the fullness and the breath of God within them. They are, they are the fullness of that, just as we are. And we would say that in the person of Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, and this is like that big theological construct I was taught from very early on, right? God's 100%, Jesus is 100% divine and 100% human, fully God and fully man. And I fully believe all of that, that we note that in the person of Jesus, we see the best example of what it is to live in the image of God here on earth. That in the person of Jesus, we see the fullness of the image of God walking amongst us. We see what it does look like to not other others. What it does look like to reach across and to sit at a table with tax collector and sinner and prostitute and Pharisee and Herodian. And to reach across all that. That in the person of Jesus, fully human and fully God, we see the fullness of example of what it looks like to be in the image of God. And then we'll also note that the rest of us, falling short of that all of the time, we often look a bit more like this, right? That our image, we aren't Jesus. We aren't pretending that we can ever be Jesus. There's only one, the Son of God. Like, that's it. God fully, I used to teach my uh, elementary school kids, Jesus is God in a bod, right? Um, So just the little thing. Like, how do you even explain the incarnation? But in all of that, the rest of us have good days and bad days as to how much we are reflecting the image of God in this world. And there are those of us, humanity around us where the image has been so deeply distorted that we look at that act done, say, at a church in Texas, and we think, where, God, are you there? The image of you has been so distorted. This, this humanity keeps hurting other humans. This can't be you. And we say, yes, you're right. This has become a fully distorted image. This is not what we have been called to become as the image bearers of God in this world. But I want to go back to this creation story just one more moment. Many of us, uh, myself too, brought up in uh, Christian tradition, which I'm still very much part of. I, I think we've focused, I've focused so much on all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So, so we start with our human depraved state and that none of us can draw close to God except through the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to hold that intention also with this creation narrative that when God creates you and me, God says it's good. 
Now, we all, as we participate in things that harm God, harm God's image, harm one another in this world, harm the image of God in another person in this world, at least 27 persons lost today who were all created in the image of God because of somebody else also created in the image of God. Um, As we look in these moments, I I just want to at least hold into tension that when God made you, I would want to tell my little ones, God made you good. God doesn't make junk. God looked at us and said, very good. It's good. Now, how much we're able to live into that truth, into that calling of being that hope and that light and the image bearer in this world, that that depends a lot on us, doesn't it? And we can lean into the hope and truth that we are God-breathed. And we can say, Holy Spirit, come live in me. And we can look at the one who was fully human and fully God and say, dear Jesus, please teach me how to walk and teach me how to live so I can more fully represent the image of God that I am created in this image, this good image of God in this world. Help me to be more of that by the grace of Jesus alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit alone, because that is what I've been called to do and to be. So little ones, I just want to let you know, you are good. God has made you very good. God looks on you and says, very good. And God forms you and fills you and gives you and I purpose. You have work to do in this world, Ephesians says, for we are all saved by grace, not by works, And you're created to do good works. That's Ephesians 2, both at the same time. You're saved by grace, but you're also created to do these good works. Because you're created in the image of God, and God does good work. We get to tend this world. We get to take care of this creation. We get to live in this place and tend the image of God in one another. And if it's feeling dark, and if it's feeling chaotic, just know that God breathes into that and calls forth light there's hope. In the beginning, humanity was a distorted mirror, but then (laughs) God hovered over that distorted (laughs) mirror and spoke into it and created something beautiful. Does anybody have any questions, any thoughts, reflections, anything you want to ask, anything that came to mind or anything that prompted a little inquiry Okay, um, so I really liked how you guys uh, were saying the breath of God, how um, it reads that the fact that we are made in His image, so when, when we breathe, we, we're breathing God, we, we are His, and it, it just made me think that whatever challenges, whatever struggles that come around me, God is in me. He's in me every second. He's with me every person, and if, if nothing the enemy does has any power over the breath of God. Every time I speak, every time I breathe, that is God in me. That is the power of God protecting me from any trial, any test, depression, whatever. So I think what Cece's talking about is that the knowledge that we are made in God's image, that we are good, and that God is present with us sort of no matter what. Which, which is true, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't all of a sudden go, oh, did you decide to accept me as your personal Lord and Savior? Great. Okay, I'll go die on the cross again for you. I mean, God, Jesus has already done that. 
right? That grace is already available for us in this moment. And oftentimes as we think through good and evil in this world, we often act like it's Star Wars, right? There's like somehow equal components. Um, but when we get to Romans 16, 19, and 20, like be excellent at God, what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. You should look at the size of your feet. He's smaller than this, right? So we have the capacity. We are made as God's image bearers. And just go back when you have some time and read Colossians, talking so much about how Christ is the fullness of God in our midst, the fullness of the image of God. You mentioned a couple words, breath and spirit which is interesting and something we didn't touch on, but in Hebrew and in Greek, the words are so much richer than in English because the word for breath, wind, and spirit is the same word in Hebrew. So the word ruach, which is used there in Genesis, means breath, wind, and spirit, all three at the same time. And even the word pneuma in Greek in in the New Testament, it has the same connotation, same idea. It's really beautiful. I don't have a question. It's more of an observation of a mindset section. When you talked about how often the presentation of the gospel starts with uh, everyone's sin, um, I think I've always been bothered by how negative this this is presented to people because it's not necessarily compelling even. And this is well, okay. I want you to know God loves you, but I got to start with you're broken and something wrong with you. When you said it's also that God made you and you're good. It's, I mean, we're, God called us to go out and share the gospel of the world. But God, I don't. I've never felt like I want to go out and be negative toward people. It always bothers me when I, especially other Christians, tend to be unsure. Right. So, so Sue Ann's pointing out that the gospel story for many of us often starts with you sin, and that's why you need a savior. But we can also start sooner than that. God has made you good, and with purpose. And yes, I also want my little one to know that there is a place that can hold the things that she does, that I do, when we hurt and we harm one another, these sins, these falling short, and that there's ways to make that right, and we can do that um, through our relationship with Jesus too. And that's also good news, but it doesn't sound as good when it starts with, you stink, so Jesus died to save you from your sins. Right? If we can start back a little further, God loves you, God created you with purpose, God set this world to right, things have gone sideways, here's how we repair that and get back to where God's true calling and intention is as image bearers. I don't think we can overstate how radically revolutionary thinking about this message is in this particular way. Because if we begin with all of the sin and the negativity that Sue Ann was mentioning, um, basically we're just, we're just playing the sin management catch-up game is basically what we're trying to do. If you start with the narrative in this particular way, what you're doing is you're trying to reclaim something beautiful that already exists. Try to get rid of all the things that are getting in the way of the thing that is the true nature of who you are. And when you approach a message in that particular way, that's revolutionary. That, that changes everything. Um, you see every single person that you run across, including the person in the mirror, as ultimately good. And, made and you image, yeah. want to ensure that what you do and how you behave and how you teach and how you relate exacerbates, explodes, highlights, illuminates all the goodness of that person. That's what we are attempting to do. We need a whole other sermon to talk about then what is the biblical definition of sin because sin is not the ultimate identifier for who you are. Sin is this thing that gets in the way. Um, But again, many of us grew up with the phrase, you are a sinner. 
That's how it's usually phrased. And what we're trying to do with this series is upend some of that. And again, not demolish it. Sure, sin is a real thing. There are things in this world. We, we talked about the horrific tragedy this morning in this church in Texas. I mean, sin is a real thing. But what we're trying to do is not identify it first and foremost as your identity. Right. This story is your identity. And sin is then the thing that is getting in the way of us fully expressing the goodness of that God. I would just note that for some of the things that I see in the world, sin is my only explanation. Evil is my only explanation. It's the absence of all reason and the absence of God's intended order in this world and the absence of viewing one another in the image of God, right? When we deal with issues of of horrific racism and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and homophobia and all of the things that we're dealing with, all of these things can be attached to the fact that we are unwilling to see someone else as made in the image of God, which is a sin, so we, we still hold on to the fact that we need a solution. We need an, some intentionality to the fact that, that we have a sin challenge. But if I don't know what I was first called to, then I end up just trying to manage all of my chaos, but I don't know where to go forward. And what we're trying to encourage everyone today is say, we have a calling. God has a calling for you. You are good. You are made with purpose. There's hope in the chaos, and you are made in his image, and you can bring that forth. And when you encounter one another in this world, you can see the image of God in the other. And we can try to call that image out in one another. So do, you, do you see the forming and the feelings as an ongoing thing? In the beginning, God formed many things. question is, do you see the forming and the filling as an ongoing thing? Or did the it just happen a long time the ago? The answer is yes. Let me give you a quote, not mine, from Lawrence Kushner, a really wonderful Jewish scholar, writer, who said this, Genesis was not written to tell us that it happened, but that it happens. Genesis was yeah. not written to tell us that it happened, but that it happens. Right now, it is happening that God is hovering over the chaos. Right now, God is forming and filling. Every time you, as a community, share with one another, commune with one another, argue with one another in a loving way where you are, grow and you're, you're moved and tensions, anytime that happens, you are being formed and filled by other images of God. Genesis yeah. was not written to tell us that it happened it is happening right now. And the more and more we live into the story, the more and more it continues to happen. This building today is formed and then you filled it, right? Some of you uh, coach students. And when you coach and reach into the lives of those students, a, a form is created and you fill it, right? Some of you are holding days-old babies that have been formed and filled. If you only were holding the form, we would be having a very different service. All of this is true. It's, as each of us have that moment where we just don't know, is Jesus going to even show up for me today? I'm so out of breath. I'm so chaotic. My life is disordered. My marriage is falling apart. I don't have a job. All of the chaos in my life. I want you to know that God is forming and filling. My friends, this is our story. Our story is that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and he hovered over the darkness and the chaos. And then he said, let us make all of you, all of us, in his image and in his likeness.